Welcome to a special presentation of Behind the Scenes, where Marvel vs. Marvel revisits the production histories of some of your favourite Marvel movies and TV shows and undercovers how they made it to the screen in the first place. If you're joining us for the first time, our full-length episodes are packed with the kind of insight and behind-the-scenes notes on your favourite Marvel movies. This is one hell of a uh, behind the scenes. You might, you, we might have, we might be doing more. We, we are well. We're definitely doing more about the behind the scenes than we've ever done before. We might even be doing more of that than we are <laughs> history of the character in this episode. Um, I know you've got a lot to tell us, and I'm really, really excited to be pulling this apart. The situation that's gone on for a long time. Um, so I mean, take it away. Perhaps let's start in the way we normally do: facts and figures. Uh, what did this movie cost to make? What are we looking at? Okay, it's not. Uh, it's expensive, but not. Uh, you know, I think around the usual expenses. So, one hundred thirty <coughs> to one hundred sixty-nine point three million dollars, which is. Uh, would we? Say, it's been a while now. Would we say is an average price for a Marvel film? Um. In my mind, they're they're around one seventy to one eight to one ninety, something like that. Yeah, yeah. I think higher budget for obviously if you're doing uh, an Avengers movie because you pay you're just physically paying a lot more top stars, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, the, and yeah. Star they're, 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 they're bigger. They're a bigger kind of uh, effects tend to be. So I would say this is on the modest side. One hundred and thirty million is can't be the number because that's that's a very cheap movie. One hundred and thirty, I think. Hundred and sixty, hundred and seventy sounds sounds like yeah, it's on it's on the it's on the it's on the modest side of a. a it it feel it sounds a lot like Phase One. Yeah, you know what I mean? yeah, definitely. Also, this film isn't exactly the most expensive film. From from what happens, it's not a grand adventure, but stuff st- stuff does happen. There are some ex- you know impressive scenes, but it's nothing like. Uh, Captain America: The Winter Soldier, for example, sure, which will always be the gold standard of MCU films. I think um, you're right in, in in that that we were not we don't see a huge amount of action set pieces. We see a lot of CGI. We we see a lot of CGI action set, set pieces. Set pieces set entirely CGI inside the uh, micro world. I'll go into more later on when it's relevant about what I loved what they did with the, with the shrinking effects. But uh, um, yeah, what. So on 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 we we say like about around 170 million. What do we? What does it walk away from the box office taking, and how does that relate to the rest of Phase Two? Uh, five. We're closing out now. Five hundred and nineteen point three million, which gives it gives it. I think it gives it rights to have a sequel. That's that's to me it's a successful film. But it's not like Iron Man three levels of success or financial success. I should add. Sorry. Um, it's it's the it's the it takes the least of any other movie in Phase Two. Yeah, and it's it takes less than a lot of movies in Phase One. Yeah, I think I think it only takes more than two of the movies in total, which are 
the first Captain America mm. and the first Hulk movie, or the only Hulk movie. I, um, I think, and it didn't. Yeah. It didn't do as well. I mean, obviously, this is this is as we talked about. This is a character that people have no frame of reference for. Yeah, it also seems um, heavily like a B character because we're we're introducing someone, and the film, as you can tell from the trailers and everything, he he's he's not someone who you who's eventually going to join the Avengers. You don't see that. I mean, what you're seeing here yeah. is just a standard, standalone hero. And then you know there's going to be some references to the Avengers and stuff in it. But it's totally... The, the back is totally on Ant-Man's shoulders. Very strong, capable shoulders to drive this film. Well, <clears throat> then we want to put this podcast on your very big, capable shoulders... Drive this podcast, Will. It's a journey. This movie getting made. It is. It's what. <laughs> what. What are you going to tell us? What do we need to know about the twists and the turns and the rug getting pulled out and all of that? Yeah. See, I knew about this. I knew about this. Uh, I'll get onto the bit I knew about because there's a few. Because you know, myself being a fairly touristy geek, uh, will will know uh, the one of the big name, big well, biggish names that was involved. But I'll start with a little bit of the backstory about how long this has been in development for. It's actually been in development for quite a long time. Uh, like development of an Ant Man film of just a. Ant-Man film began mm. in the late 1980s when Ant-Man co-creator wow. Stan Lee pitched the idea to New World Pictures. Do they still exist? Uh, well, they, so New World Pictures used to own Marvel comics, right? Um, I'm thinking back of- in the back in the 80s, but they, they, I don't think they, I don't. I mean, if they, if they do exist, they've been swallowed up by someone else by now. So I was thinking of New Line Cinema because I was like the most no, 90s, no. most 90s film production coming. If you know, it's just New Line Cinema comes up because oh, I'm watching a 90s film. <laughs> you know it. <laughs> but um, Marvel Comics parent company at the time, obviously New World Pictures. So, however, um, they, they were they were pitched to them, but Walt Disney Pictures was developing a film based on a similar concept. Called, wait for it, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. <laughs> a classic. An absolute classic. What a classic film. And although Ant-Man went into development, nothing came to fruition. Surely that would have been the time to jump on that peak Rick Moranis dollar. <laughs> <laughs> and that film well, had an ant in. That film had an ant in. Oh my God. Yeah. What a perfect count we- companion film. But no, because I mean, remember Hollywood don't take chances. So here's a character that's no proven history, that's a bit quirky and isn't quite, you know, Captain America. It isn't the square jawed matinee idol, um, you know, big big muscled superhero. You're taking a risk, which movies don't like to do, yep. and then you're producing something that is already in a market like it's not unique anymore. So that could be seen as even more of a risk, couldn't it? Yeah, but the the, the, the... <laughs> The shrinking film uh, market isn't exactly saturated at that point, really, is it? True, yeah, but but it obviously was was too much too much of a coincidence. They didn't want to pursue it. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. It's like, hey, people like that Ghostbusters movie. We should make similar films to Ghostbusters. But that didn't happen, did it? No, really? it didn't. Didn't the the closest so, the closest thing that the, came to it was Men in Black, and that was a decade later. And so that obviously shows that there that there is something in Hollywood that doesn't doesn't quite like to do that. It's all about science fiction. Anything involving sci-fi and comedy mixing together, there's this kind of ooh, it's going to be expensive to make it's sci-fi and comedy is very hard to do in cinema. 
and and it doesn't comedy is harder to make big returns on. Very, very I mean, if you watch, uh, I went I went through a, a load of uh, Christopher Guest movies. Uh, yeah, great, 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 funny films. But you look at the return on investment; a lot of them lost money. A few of them lost money. Yeah. It's like, oh, but this is a hilarious film. Why would I do it anyway? I'm straying from the point. Uh, now I'm going to bring us to the bit that really drew me in about Ant Man when I read about it. Uh, it was uh, revealed that in 2003, uh, Edgar Wright and his writing partner Joe Cornish of Adam Adam and Joe Show fame in the UK, people would know him as that. Big up, big up, big up, indeed. Uh, wrote a treatment for artisan uh, movies, which were which were the same same studio that did uh, did the Punisher film. Well, we talked about um, artisan pictures, aren't they? We talked about them in the Punisher movie having this really unique deal mm. with Marvel Comics. Yeah, where essentially Marvel. Handed. This is just so weird to think of at the time, mm. but in two thousand three, around the two thousands, Marvel handed Artisan Pictures the rights to like fifteen of their top characters, yeah, including Thor, and and the deal was this: you you don't pay any money for the rights to these characters, mm. and that is our as in Marvel's financial contribution to these movies and it makes us a partner so you don't have to pay us you can use the characters fund a movie make a movie and we'll get a split of the of the box office and that was the deal that brought us the punisher yep uh and and so ant-man was going to be part of that setup I, I i when i hear about this part of me goes you know what I would have liked to have seen how that would have turned out, just out of curiosity. Out of curi- um, this is the thing, though. I- I'll just go back quickly to uh, Wright- Wright's uh, take on him when he was get- when he was expl- you know pitching, doing this for Artisan. He-, he wanted to revolve obviously around Scott Lang as the burglar, and it can gone uh, gone slightly in a- what he quotes as an Elmore Leonard route. Are you aware of that name? Oh yes, Elmwood, Elmwood Leonard, uh, Leonard wrote the things like um, punch, uh, Run Punch and Get Shorty and uh, Out of Sight and all those really fantastic... I think he wrote... Uh, yeah, he wrote all those really fantastic, punchy, great dialogue, yeah. um, urban urban kind of super cool crime movies. Yeah, there we go. And it really shows in the finished product in places. Uh, although they, the artisan, artisan films apparently... Wanted the film to be like a family thing, which makes sense. Yeah, it does because I, I think after you do stuff like The Punisher, you kind of go, "Hmm." <laughs> if, you can't... if you're if you're gonna spend a lot of money on effects, you want a big return on investment, mm-hmm. which means kids and families and adults, because that's how you get the most money back. Generally speaking, yeah. So effects uh, movies generally want to be able to appeal to as many people as possible. Exactly. That's why a lot of uh, sequel, recent sequels of old uh, sci-fi and action franchises are no longer yeah. at fifteen and eighteen. They are at PG thirteen and twelve. That's also the China influence, and I don't want to sound like a crazy conspiracy theory guy, but. Yeah, if you want to make money on the global market, you've got to create a movie that doesn't upset China's uh, senses. What cra- crazy? As we've discussed before. Yeah, yeah, but that, but yeah. It, it is an industry. 
I, 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 I don't want I don't want to go, it is what it is, but it is an industry. You are being bankrolled by people who want to see a bigger return on investment they can. They don't care about art. Art, he says, talking about an MCU film. They don't, they don't care about art. Ah, bah, bah. We, we analyse and contextualise iconic moments of high art <laughs> and pop culture. Uh, I've forgotten. Uh, yeah, something like that. I, no, I won't have any of this. Come back to me with high art <laughs> when you get an MCU film finally directed by David Lynch. <laughs> Oh my god, what what a box office bomb that will be. But very well received. So so, so then what happened uh, going forward with, with Ant-Man? So what happened, uh, it's April 2006, uh, Marvel Studios hired uh, Edgar Wright. Uh, I, I, before I say anything further, just, 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 just to confirm, Edgar Wright, as we know, of Shaun of the Dead, uh, the Cornetto trilogy fame. Uh, more of a and, and he used of to, spaced fame, thank of you. spaced yes. fame as well, yes, yes, and, and all that follows. He's primarily comedy comedy writer so they hired Wright yes. to direct and co-write Ant-Man with Cornish Joe Cornish as part of the company's first late independently produced films so what that sounds so that, like that's, that's the like, beginning of Marvel Studios ah uh, right okay okay so I thought they were going to have like a B film no no B-line. what it means is um, independently produced means this is when Marvel Studios are going to produce movies themselves for the first time instead of Handing the characters to artisan pictures, mm. or selling the rights to Sony yeah. or or Twentieth Century Fox. There we go. There we go. I've got uh, an Entertainment Weekly quote here. No, it's an Edgar Wright quote. Edgar Wright. Oh my God, that was confusing. And those, I just saw EW and went. It's obviously Entertainment Weekly. It's really in a, in a section where we're talking about Edgar Wright. <laughs> in a section where we're talking about films. Sure. <laughs> okay. Sorry, Edgar Wright quote, not Entertainment Weekly. God, is my face pink. Um, the idea that we have for the adaptation is to actually involve both uh, Scott Lang and Hank Pym. Is to have the film that basically is about uh, Hank, Hen- so Hank Pym and uh, Scott Lang. So you actually do a prologue where you see Pym as Ant-Man in action in the 60s in sort of Tales to Astonish mode, basically. And then the contemporary sort of flash-forward is Scott Lang's story and how he becomes uh, comes to acquire the suit, how he crosses paths with Henry Pym, and then, in an interesting sort of Machiavellian way, teams up with him. So it's like an interesting thing, like the Marvel premiere one that I read, which is Scott Lang's origin. It's very brief, uh, like a lot of those origin comics are, and in a way, the details that skip through in the panels and the kind of thing we'd spend half an hour on. So, he, I don't know how big of a Marvel Comics fan Edgar Wright is, but I mean, he really, he, he, he sounds like he's like really wants to do the characters justice here. Yeah, I mean, and he describes pretty much what we see in this movie. Yeah, I mean, it, the core, the core story is exactly that. But I mean, yeah, I, I would, I would assume from from space that he's a he's a big fan, hmm. um, and he's obviously that. I mean, you don't, you also don't necessarily need to be a big fan if you get hired to do a. Like a a movie like this, you, you're probably going to sit down and read a whole whack of the comics, oh, and gain yeah. a great idea. And you suddenly you'll gain knowledge from doing that. But you know, yeah, it seems like he's a fan. Oh yeah, yeah. But I mean, to do the motivation to actually start getting the kicks off, you must be a huge fan anyway. But I, on yeah, a side, but, uh, I don't know that 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 paycheck is usually a pretty big motivating factor. <laughs> like if you if you pay me to, I mean, I don't have to care about the Marvel character Stingray, the champion of the underwater aquatic adventure and research facility but if you pay me several thousand pounds to write the movie i will get motivated like you've never seen mate oh man 
I, I, I will say, though, that in Spaced, Spaced is a great comedy with loads of reference to pop culture and geek culture. I don't remember there being any Marvel uh, references. There's a Captain Marvel reference, but it's the wrong one. It's uh, the DC Fawcett character. Uh, oh, off the top of my head, that's the only that's the only comic book one I can think of. Uh, Some 2000 but, AD yeah. references and the fact they had an artist sure. from 2000 AD yeah. work on the comic bits for them. But yeah, I don't remember that. But uh, I'll continue. Uh, with 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 what happened in June 2012, Wright uh, shot a test reel for Ant Man, showing how he'd capture the character's shrinking powers on screen. Marvel was actually eyeing Ant Man as one of its Phase Two movies, but allowed Wright to delay production so he could instead make his original sci-fi film, The World's End, first. This was because Eric Fellner, producer for the working title, the studio behind Wright's Cornetto trilogy of films, was diagnosed with cancer. And Wright felt it important to fill his promise of a trilogy of movies with Fellner, lest the producer's condition worsened. I I didn't know about that. No, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. So, Wright showed off the Ant-Man test reel during the Marvel panel at 2012 San Diego Comic Con, a month after he shot it, which ended up being the only footage Wright ever shot for Ant-Man that was seen by the public. Loads has been loads yeah. loads of people talk about that. Loads of people that were there. There was lots of lots of writing done on blogs and websites mm. at the time, and some stuff on social media about seeing that test footage. Did you ever and see it? Became, it? I don't think I have actually. No, mm. no. I I would imagine it's it's it, it's a little tricky to track down online, um, mm. but I haven't attempted to. So yeah, I'm really tempted to because I I want to see how that how that came out because when I heard that Edgar Wright was writing it, <clears> all <throat> I can imagine was how would Shaun of the Dead look style you know comedy and action look like in a Marvel film, and plus it's American, so I th- I thought there would be a lot of lost. Like, because the great thing about those Cornetto trilogy films is the humour is very quick and it relies on the on British slang and and mentality. And they're like, could you transfer his kind of writing to a Marvel film? I thought. Um, I yeah, I think he could. Yeah, I I don't I don't think it relies very that much on a British mentality. I think that's just that the re- a lot of the references mm. and a lot of the way the jokes are written. Are in an, an English language, but I still think you can. The timing was anyway. Mm. We're getting off, to, off topic here. Yeah. Um, if if we are head over to our Patreon right now, mm. and if we are able to source the video, we will put it up there for everyone to see. Uh, Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. If we can find that test footage, we'll share it with you all on the website. If you go there and it's not there, we couldn't find it. Yeah, I I gonna have a hunt hunt for it after we record this. So the lead roles uh, in the movie were all cast with Edgar's vision. Uh, Edgar favoured Paul Rudd over Marvel's preferred choice of Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Oh, really? Yeah, that, that would have been yeah. in oh, 2015. Uh, JGL as well. So that's a very different. <laughs> that's a very different physical look. That's a very different. Like he's still he's he's still looking quite young and very very nerdy. JGL, um, I like that. I like that. That's that's interesting. I I I I think uh, Rudd's the right way to go with this character. But I think Rudd has a bit more uh, mileage on his face. Oh yeah, definitely. definitely. That's the interesting thing about the Marvel the Marvel cast is the 
so many of them are in their are in their forties and fifties. Yeah. It's a really aged cast. You know, you think if you're going to start a, a hot new franchise of movies, everyone would be like late twenties, but um, that's not quite the case. No, no, I, I I like that whole maxim about hey. Here's an example of a guy who st- changed their life in their 40s and became famous for it. And it's like, oh my God, they're a famous actor. They just, or whatever. Or, and it's like, hey, it's never too late to change things. And I like that. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So, with filming due to get underway in July 2014, tensions began to arise between Wright and Marvel. Throughout early 2014... Wright and Cornish wrote two additional drafts of the Ant-Man script, attempting to address Marvel's notes without compromising their vision. Marvel even pushed the start of filming back from June to July to make time for the rewrites. And when the script still wasn't to Marvel's liking, the studio commissioned a rewrite from some of its own in-house writers without Wright's input. It was then that it was when that draft of the script came back, reportedly lacking Wright's voice and entirely homogenized, that Wright decided to leave the film just two months before filming was due to begin. That's insane. Yeah, that's that weird. is X Men um, three level madness. What happened with that? Did um, what's his face? They. they- they lost two directors during the movie. That movie has three directors, and production didn't stop once. It just kept going as they brought in a different guy, and then a different guy, and then a third guy. Like, which, which is, and that's reflected in that terrible movie, X Men Trinity. Oh yeah, X Men Trinity. No, um, what's it called? X Men. You're thinking of Blade Trinity. It's like yeah, both both terrible third installments. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, they are very terrible. Apparently, uh, Josh Whedon was very disappointed, calling the uh, right corner script the best Marvel have ever had. That's really interesting. Uh, Because he's presumably seen it. He's presumably seen all of them. Because he was was so involved in Phase 1. So involved. That's quite heartbreaking, isn't it? Yeah, and Phase 2, in fact, as well. Sorry? Sorry, I was just saying, um, I was correcting myself and saying... Joss was so involved in Phase One and Two mm. of Marvel because they both built up to you know his kind of his kind of Avengers movies bookmarked both of those big 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 phases. So yeah. he would have presumably seen every script, and for it to have been the best one, yeah, that's uh, that's really I I I don't want to go on about it, but it is, it just makes you go. I really want to see this. I really want to know what the difference was because. Oh, I don't know. I, I like the Kudrato trilogy. I like Edgar Wright's work. Not wasn't so keen on uh, Scott Pilgrim, to be honest. But that's another thing. And I just uh, Scott Pilgrim's. I I have a huge. I think Scott Pilgrim's an incredible film. I think the World's End is very bland and a bit dodgy, a bit bit rough. It's certainly the weaker of the trilogy. But I I, yeah. I think people were a bit unfair on it. <laughs> I think there is some goodness in there. Mm. It's just like it, it's the it, you can tell that the ideas are running thin by by that point. Yeah, maybe. But anyway, yeah. Uh, Josh Whedon said, uh, "I thought the script was not only the best script that Marvel ever had, but the most Marvel script I'd read." I had no interest in Ant Man. Then I read the script and was like, "Of course, this is so good." It reminded me of the comics when I read them, irreverent and funny and could make what was small large and vice versa 
I don't know where things went wrong, but I was very sad because I thought this is a no-brainer. This is Marvel getting it exactly right. Which is odd because Marvel usually got it exactly right, didn't they? We've talked about this so much, about about getting the right director, getting the right cast. They, you, they've been getting it right with the MCU so many times. Uh, yeah. Um, I... I, I, I... Look, we we might I might have more to say at the end of all this. Let let's progress with the story because I I think I I have I have my thoughts on what happened. I like this. You're going to keep people listening in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. we're, we're, we're going to stay tuned. So anyway, progressing with the story of the making of Batman on May 23rd, 2014, Marvel and Wright jointly announced that Wright was leaving the project due to differences in their vision of the film and that the studio was closing in on a new director. On the split, Wright said, I wanted to make a Marvel movie, but I don't think they really wanted to make an Edgar Wright movie. That makes a lot of sense to me. He also added that at one point, Marvel wanted to do a draft of the script without him, which was a tough thing to move forward, as Wright had written all of the previous films he directed. So Marvel also wanted... No halt in production, so Adam McKay replaced Wright to finish the script with Rudd chipping in. Adam McKay, as you know, um, is the director and writer of Anchorman and The Big Short and Vice. He's a guy who knows comedy and knows how to direct comedy. So if, if Wright's leaving, I think that was a very good choice. I think that was a good choice to replace. I, I, yeah, well, it certainly, certainly paid off very well, didn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you can certainly see, see, it worked. Uh, McKay said of the process, I've always known Paul Rudd's really a really good writer from improvising with him on set, but I had no idea he was that good. He's really great with dialogue. The two of us holed up in hotel rooms on the east and west coast, and I think it was like six to eight weeks. We just ground it out and did a giant rewrite of the script. I was really proud of what we did. I really thought we put some amazing stuff in there and built on an already strong script from Edgar Wright and sort of just enhanced some stuff. Rudd has, wow. yeah. Rudd has gone out of his way uh, to give credit to Wright and Cornish for the script saying the idea, the trajectory, the goal and the blueprint of all of it is really Edgar and Joe. It's their story. We changed some scenes. We added some new sequences. We changed some characters. We added new characters. If you look, if you took the two scripts and held them up together, they'd be very different. But the idea is all theirs. That's nice. I like that. I like they're giving credit where credit's due, considering they did the most of the legwork, obviously. Uh, yeah, it, 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 uh, yes. In in a world of rainbows and unicorns <laughs> and care bears, it's really nice that they have magnanimously gone out of their way to to do that. Uh, in in the world <laughs> of business, it's a also a great way of saving face. With a geek and nerd community who are your core yeah. demographic, with an incredibly popular director in that in that kind of world and fan base, um, yeah, yeah. There's also, I imagine, some legal paper somewhere from <laughs> the end of Edgar Wright's work with them, where both sides agree not to disparage the other and. Mm. There might even be something. I mean, to be fair, I don't think he's credited on the movie at all, so there probably isn't that going on. That's but, a shame. Yeah, I don't know. 
uh, yeah. <laughs> let's let let's let's say it's because everyone involved in Marvel and Disney is lovely. Let's let's go with that because Disney's lovely that. and has never done anything bad whatsoever. Evangeline yeah. Lilly actually considered leading the movie. First of all, <sighs> Evangeline Lilly. Yeah, which, what which, happened? Who, who's her? Evangeline Lilly? What do you mean? I just got, I decide with you because I thought you were going to do something else. Well, she's no, she's Hope in the movie. Oh, yeah, she's she's very she's nice. She's the actress who plays Hope, and she's also Kate from Lost. And, uh, uh, I should put that on my list of shows stuff. to watch. Uh, yes. Evangeline Lilly actually considered leading the movie uh, due to the exit of Edgar Wright. She said, when the split happened, I was in the fortunate position where I had not signed my contract yet, so I had the choice to walk away, and I almost did. Because I Oof. thought, yeah, because I thought, well, if it's not, if it's, if it's because Marvel are big bullies and they just want a puppet and not someone with a vision, I'm not interested in being in this movie, which, which is what I was afraid of. I saw with my own eyes that Marvel had just pulled the script into their world. I mean, they, were an establ- they established a universe and everyone has come to expect a certain aesthetic and a certain feel for Marvel films. And what Edgar was creating was much more in the Edgar Wright camp of films. They were very different. And I totally understand that. I totally understand uh, that that viewpoint. That Edgar Wright films are different from Marvel films. So, what do you think happened here then? Oh, have you got your theories that you're going to tell us at the end? I take it. Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, I, 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 my, from what I read, I was doing a bit of research. I, I think that I had Edgar Wright want to make this a standalone film. He wanted to make this a standalone film, and I, I just think he wanted full creative control over it. But unfortunately, he was uh, handling a um, commodity that was under a much bigger, in a much bigger picture. So, although he, you know, there's that thing of okay, do what you can with it, but it has to, you have to do this, and we have to do this. It has to, it has to basically go by the rule book of what's happened and what's about to happen with the MCU phases and everything. Because at some point we're going to introduce, we obviously will introduce Ant Man into everything, so we need a way of doing that. And I, I think Edgar Wright was totally against that. He wanted it a standalone thing. I, I think there's there's probably elements of that. Yeah, I, I think um, because I, I. Th- think this is the strongest idea Hmm. i think that um he very much wanted hank pym to be some sort of 1950s 1960s period based character because i really think that's the strong i I believe that is the strongest and coolest and funnest idea that you shoot the hank pym stuff as a 1950s uh roadhouse b movie and then you go modern day and then do the rest of the movie so I, I can see that being something whereas I can see Marvel saying well no because we're going to get we want Hank Pym to be a character we do stuff with we want it to be connected to S.H.I.E.L.D. Mm-hmm. We, I, can, I can see elements of that I, I think Evangeline Lilly's quote is deeply important um, Marvel has a certain aesthetic Yeah, Edgar Wright um, composes shots. If, if, if Scott Pilgrim is, an, is, a, is, a, is a fantastic example of that, as is probably Hot Fuzz. Yeah, he composes shots with a a a real eye and flair for cinematography, yeah. for spacing and for uh, composure, uh, uh, composition. Mm. Sorry, of of the shot. And Marvel films are not filmed like that. Marvel films are shot with. Insane amounts of coverage. You two two characters are talking. You film it from every single 
you film it again and again and again and again from every yeah. possible direction. You move the camera to every possible spot in that room and you have 600 takes of that conversation so that in the edit you can you can make Marvel movies can be entirely remade in the edit to fit whatever they want to do. Yep. And Edgar Wright is not that kind of a filmmaker and I can imagine Edgar Wright scripting a lot of things um a lot of stylistic shots like you see in very much in spaced and yep. more in, oh, in sure than hot fuzz those stylistic um that have the echo right stamp on them yeah i know exactly I see, the ones you mean and i mean i mean scott pilgrim his face criticism of being style over substance because there's so much style in it it's such a stylistic film i don't think marvel want that would jar yeah, in a in in the rest of the MCU movies, I think it comes from a very logical perspective. Uh, I know you have a, so, uh, a, a, a academia in film studies. I have a, I probably have less than you, but some academia uh, in film studies. And the key is uh, with Marvel films, a lot of action films is pacing of editing. And I think they film so much of that. So in a in a scene where they're doing a conversation. Instead of like just having it like Edgar Wright might have done, where it's just simple shots, they wanted to do a, a t- take to a new camera angle, move the camera, t- take uh, cut to a new camera angle every couple of seconds, so everybody watching isn't being bored. I, it's I, I know what you mean. Like I, I know what you mean. I I don't feel that MCU films work do, do that very often um, because I find I find that to be a very jar- that jars me whenever I see it, and I don't get that from MCU movies. Perhaps I'm just in a better mood when I watch them. But I, I know what you mean. I think I think in general, I think it's a complete clash of styles. Thanks for joining us as we revisit some of our favourite moments from Marvel vs. Marvel. Don't forget our full-length episodes are jam-packed with hours of Marvel trivia, behind the page, behind the scenes, and comic book Marvel history. Marvel.